if you've got a Bible at home, you can uh, turn to Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. We're looking at the passage that was just read. And I must tell you, I, I feel I was officially installed last week, and my first act was to cancel worship. So, uh, and now there's eight people in this sanctuary, which is always the greatest fear of any preacher. Now, it's true that these eight people probably need to hear this message maybe more than anybody else. But um, I, um, by God's grace, here we are. I think what's encouraging about preaching a, from a text like we're going to read is that we realize that in spite of the difficulties of COVID-19, in spite of we weren't able to meet this morning, God's power is bigger than all that. And what we're going to look at this morning should give us hope and confidence that the things that God wants to do in us and through us cannot be thwarted even in our isolation, even in this pandemic, and whatever trials, other trials we may be facing. It's interesting that this is a prayer. Paul's already prayed another prayer at the end of chapter 1. Uh, we, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. And it's interesting in this, this prayer from Ephesians three fourteen to 21 that Paul doesn't pray for a number of, of things that we, you, you would normally think he would pray for. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't pray for anyone who's sick. I'm sure there were many Ephesian believers who were sick. He doesn't pray for any financial condition and hardships that the people may be experiencing. He prays for some very specific spiritual realities. And what I would suggest to us is that this is the kind of praying that we need to make sure that we're involved in. I think it's pretty clear that I think we do pretty well as a church. We pray for the urgent needs that come up, the physical needs, the financial needs, the other trials and difficulties we face. But what Paul is going to zero in here are several key spiritual realities that we need to be praying for ourselves but we also need to be praying for one another. And I think it's easy for us to look at some of the urgent issues and we do a good job at praying for them, but we don't always pray for these important spiritual realities that may not appear as urgent, but are vitally important for us. So this morning, what I want us to look at are two prayer requests Two things that we need to be praying about that will help fuel our prayer life for us individually and for us as a church as we pray for one another. And sort of the two questions I want to ask you before we get into the text is, one question is, do you pray like this? When we look at these two prayer requests that Paul prays for, is this consistent with what your prayer life is like today. And if, if not, I think you need to make some adjustments. Maybe we all need to make some adjustments. But the other question I want to ask, and maybe a more positive vein is, what would happen if we as Stonehill Church prayed these kinds of prayer requests, not only for ourselves, but for one another? What could happen in our midst, through us, in us, around us, if we took Ephesians three fourteen to 21 and made it a regular daily prayer and prayers for one another. Let me look at the first uh, prayer request. Uh, 
we'll take a look at this. Let me start the prayer, verse 14. For this reason, again, for this reason, you'll see in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, those same words. It looks like Paul was going to pray in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 3. He digressed into talking about the glory of the church and this new man, this new community that God had created. But then he gets back to his prayer in verse 14, and he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is the first prayer request I want us to focus our attention on. And and, and the way I would summarize it is, is we need to be praying. We should pray that we together would be strengthened in our new identity in Christ. Notice what Paul says in in verse 16. He says, according to the riches of his glory. In other words, he's referring back into Ephesians 1 and 2, the riches of his glory, the riches of his grace, these spiritual blessings that God has granted us through Jesus Christ. He's praying according to those riches that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, what Paul, I think, is saying here in this prayer is he's, he, he's asking God by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, that we would be strengthened in understanding who we are in Jesus Christ, that all of the spiritual blessings of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 would, would bore into our inner being. That, that the Spirit of God would powerfully take those spiritual realities, these new identities that are given to us by grace, and that they would form the foundation of how we view ourselves, how we view one another, how we operate in life is based on the new identities, the blessings that God has given us in Christ. And what Paul, I think, understands here is that this is a part of his regular prayer life for the Ephesian believers. It should be our regular prayer life for one another because in spite of the fact that we've been given these realities, we've been given this new identity by God's grace. We've got the world, the flesh and the devil that we've talked about in Ephesians 2 is trying to get us to form our identity around other things. The world is not reinforcing the spiritual identity that we have in Christ, either individually or corporately. The world, the flesh, the evil one is not doing that. And so what Paul is asking God to do is to help these believers. What we need to be praying for ourselves and one another is that these amazing spiritual realities that are ours in Christ would, by the Holy Spirit, strengthen us in our inner being so that the way we view ourselves, the way we operate is consistent with the new identity that is already ours. In some sense, he's trying to say, this is who you are, believe it, live it, understand it, be mesmerized by it, and then live out of that identity consistently with who you already are in Jesus Christ. This is absolutely crucial for us. This is what we ought to be praying for one another. This is why our spiritual lives break down when we forget who we are in Christ, when we begin to live out of a different identity that the world or our own flesh or the evil one presents to us. So let me take you on a little bit of a tour of what are some of these blessings that we need to pray onto ourselves 
to be strengthened by the spirit in our inner being, that we need to pray for one another that we would be strengthened from our inner being. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. Verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It is vitally important that when you wake up tomorrow morning, that each of us who know Jesus Christ would have a sense of the fact that God set his love on us before the foundation of the world. He chose us in eternity past. He chose us knowing full well who we would be like when we were born into this world. And yet he set his love on us. That needs to form a a tangible part of who we are and who we think we are in our inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons. We need to understand that by grace, we are now part of God's family. We have a heavenly father who's perfect. We all grew up in families that were were dysfunctional to some degree. But now we are part of a family where God the Father who loves us and cares for us and completely knows us and cares for us and loves us, we need to understand we are part of a new family. Having been adopted by grace into that family. We need to understand verse 7. We have redemption through his blood. Once we were trapped in the marketplace of sin, but now we have, but but through the blood of Christ, we've been taken out of slavery to sin. And now we are free to follow Christ in the power of the spirit because we are new people with a new identity, able to live free from the de facto power of sin because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we need to understand that we have forgiveness of our trespasses. In other words, everything we've ever done where we owe a debt to God was paid for through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And now that debt has been wiped away through Jesus Christ and we can stand before God complete just as if we'd never sinned and just as if we were as righteous as Jesus Christ. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have an inheritance. Our future in Christ is completely secure. In some sense, we are God's inheritance. But we have a future inheritance. And what I think Paul is saying in, in this prayer, to pray that the Spirit would strengthen us in our inner being, is that we would have a deep understanding that our future is secure and we would wake up and live out of that reality 24-7. Being able to compare our present sufferings with the future glorious inheritance that is ours. Oh, but it just keeps going on and on. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were trapped by the world, the flesh, the evil one. But now we find out in Ephesians 2 that we've been made alive through Christ. We have been resurrected with Christ. In some sense, spiritually, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In other words, the power of Christ who governs the world from the right hand of God on the throne. We have access to that power. We are seated there. By grace and access to all the power we need to do the things we are called to do, even in a broken world. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about this grace that was lavished on us, this gift that was given to us. We, we, we come to, to God by grace, not through our efforts, but through God's efforts in, in dying on the cross for our sins. And in Ephesians 2.11, it talks about how now we are united in one body, Jews and Gentiles coming together in one body with complete access to God on the same spiritual footing. 
at peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And now we can not only have peace with God together, but we can have peace with one another because the shed blood of Jesus Christ makes peace between people possible. And if we're in the body of Christ, we have the resources to know, care, love, and have this incredible union together in spite of our differences because the shed blood of Jesus Christ unifies us into this new body. Ephesians 2 goes on to say we're fellow citizens, right? Our home is not this world, thankfully. Our home is in in a new kingdom, a a different kingdom, Christ's kingdom. We're part of that. We're the temple of God. We are the place where God himself dwells personally in us, in the body of Christ. We find out at the end of chapter two that the entire plan of God to unify the world under his authority is centered in the church of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying in this first prayer request that according to the riches of his glory, verse 16, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul is asking the spirit of God to take these spiritual realities, these new identities, and by the power of God, burn them into our inner being so that we understand them, we believe them, we're mesmerized by them, we're transformed by them. We, 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 we see these realities, we operate out of these realities so that we become who we already are. And this may be one of the most important prayers you could pray for yourself and you could pray for other people. Remember what uh, Paul said in Romans 12. He said, in view of the mercies of God, okay? In other words, keeping the mercies of God in view. Then he says, in light of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I think one of the problems we have, we lose sight of the mercies of God and therefore we don't have the motivation and the power to, to, to live this sacrificial life, laying down our lives before God because we've lost sight of who God is. Paul's prayer is that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. His prayer is we would not lose sight of the mercies of God, that he, the spirit of God would powerfully take these realities pour them into our inner being so that this is the default pattern of the way we view ourselves and one another. And when we keep those mercies in view as they control our inner being, we begin to be able to live our lives in complete obedience to to Christ. It's it's what Paul says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The, The idea that Christ would be at home in every part of your life. That can never happen unless the Spirit of God burns these spiritual identities into our inner being in a deep and profound way. It's a good, great book that all of you should read, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. It talks about worship. And he quotes um, from David Foster Wallace, who's, who's not necessarily a, a, a believer, But he talks about the issue of worship. Here's what he says. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. 
The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they plant you in the ground. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, or, or, or is, that they're unconscious, is, is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. My fear for us is having been given these amazing spiritual realities in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and the first part of Ephesians 3, giving these amazing truths that are supposed to mesmerize us, that are supposed to, to guide our thinking. If we don't ask God by his spirit to strengthen us in our inner being, if we don't ask this for our family, if we don't ask this for our fellow believers, it's going to be very easy for us over time to insidiously start to believe other things about our identity and ultimately those things we begin to worship and those things will destroy us. So one of the most important things we could pray for ourselves and one another is that the Spirit of God would take the truths of Ephesians 1, the truths of the gospel, and by his power, through his power, he strengthen us so that in our inner being, every day, we see ourselves for who we really are in Jesus Christ. And when we keep those mercies in view by the Spirit, as we pray that God would do this work in our hearts, that is the impetus for us to live lives consistently with who we are and who we've asked the Spirit of God to tell us and remind us who we are through this kind of praying. That's the first prayer request. Let's look at the second prayer request. Verse 18 says, he goes on, for uh, end of verse 17, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love, he's reminding the believers that they have been rooted, that's kind of a uh, horticulture term, rooted, planted in the love of Christ. You're grounded, it's kind of an architectural term, sort of the foundation of your life is the love of Christ because of what he's done for us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And then in 18, we see the second prayer request. He says, he prays, Paul does, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
The second prayer request, as I would uh, sort of define it, is this. We need to pray that we would be mesmerized by the love of Christ in real time. Notice what he says here. He, he prays that we may have strength to comprehend. I think he's referring back to the Spirit of God. Gives us this strength to understand, to comprehend. It's interesting, he says, to comprehend with all the saints. There is a sense in which you're never going to fully understand the love of God on your own completely. There's a sense in which we learn about the love of God together. And certainly we express in worship the love of God together, but we also learn to love each other together because it's when we're together in community that we're forced to love each other and are challenged to love each other and to forgive each other because we, by definition, will offend one another and hurt one another and harm one another. So part of learning to love is in community. And then Paul goes on to say, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. His prayer for us, the prayer that we need to be praying for ourselves and to others is that we would know. And that word know is, does not mean intellectual knowledge per se. It's not enough to be able to write a, a, a paper on the love of God. The issue here is the, it, to know is it's an experiential knowledge. It's understanding in real time how God loves you in Jesus Christ. It's basically saying Paul wants us to be mesmerized in real time, experience this love, not simply mentally comprehend it. But there's a sense in which our whole being is enraptured as we come to understand this depth and and breadth and, and width and height of God's love. And to know this love experientially. And of course, he says, this love surpasses knowledge. So even in our life, we're never going to get to the bottom of the love of Christ. In fact, it may take us all eternity with him forever, free from sin, to be able to understand the full range of his love. But now we are given this opportunity to know experientially, to be mesmerized, to be enthralled with the love of Christ together with the the other believers. That is Paul's prayer for us, the prayer that we need to be praying for one another and the prayer that we ought to be praying for ourselves, that we would know experientially, practically, that we would be mesmerized, we were enthralled by the love of Christ in real time. Let me tell you why this is so critical, I think. It is interesting that the appeal to love one another in the body of Christ is often given after Jesus says things like this, you know, uh, because I first loved you, because, because I've loved for you, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. I think one of our problems is when we struggle to love other people well, I think sometimes, and I've probably been guilty of this, I apologize, we preach sermons on loving one another, and so we give you something to do. We give you some ideas to to, to grow in your love. We try to tell you to try harder. But the, the fundamental breakdown in why we don't love other people as well as we ought is because we've lost sight of the love God has for us. And so why this prayer is so important, if we pray this more consistently for ourselves and for one another, as we begin to understand God's love for us, that would spill over into greater love for one another. It's the same true in a marriage. You can't, 
Uh, read Ephesians 5, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks, where it talks about the, the marriage relationship between the husband and wife is all centered in the love that Christ has for his church. But the problem in most marriages is love breaks down because either one or both of the partners have forgotten the incredible love that God has for them. And since they can't see how much they are loved in Christ, they're unable to love one another the way they ought to because they've lost sight of this love of God that Paul prays that we understand. Think about this with conflict resolution, right? In the church of Jesus Christ, I mean, I've I've been in three different churches over the last 30 years. And I can tell you for sure that one of the major problems that believers have in their walk with Christ is someone has hurt them in their family of origin or at work or even in the church, in their family. and, and, And they can't get over it. They can't deal with it. They can't forgive. What does Paul say in, in numerous letters? We need to forgive other people because Christ has forgiven us. When we forget how much love has been poured out on us, how much we have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ, when that is not something that we're growing in a knowledge of, growing experientially, growing in terms of understanding, when we lose sight of his love for us, we have trouble dealing with the people in our lives and there's bitterness rather than forgiveness. Those of you a little bit younger, I, I was a youth pastor a hundred years ago. And what used to drive me crazy is that you'd have a, a student who was really growing in the Lord and, you know, it'd be a guy, you know, and he's really growing, he's really making progress. And then this female comes into the youth group. And all of a sudden, this kid who was, you know, listening to every word you're saying, he, he's got glassy eyes. He can't think straight. You try to talk to him. And of course, it happened the other way. There would be a girl who was growing, one of the key leaders in the youth group, and some you know, guy comes in, and the next thing you know, you can't get through to them. And sometimes, the person that they thought they were in love with, whatever they thought that meant, was, um, you know, they, they've, they've attached their, their love and, and affections to someone who's really not a good person for them. Maybe a person who's not even a believer, someone who's not really walking with Christ. And you, you lecture them and you, you, you nag them and you try to tell them, you know, what to do. And their parents would often say the same things. And they just look at you with these glassy eyes and they, they can't hear you. They can't respond to you. The reality in that situation is what's happening to that person, to that student, to that teen or young adult is that they've lost sight of God's love for them. They are not being filled up with the love that Christ has for them. And there are these other human loves that are now room large in their life. And they're willing to sacrifice what they know is right because they're so desperate for this affection from another human being because they're not filled up with the love of God in Christ. They are not have the experienced understanding of what God has done for them. And now they begin to attach themselves to some other person looking for the love that only Christ can provide, which satisfies. And what would it look like at Stonehill, even in this COVID-19 crazy time, if this was the kind of praying that we were doing for ourselves, for our family, 
and for one another. What would it look like if we were on our knees praying that God would help us and help others understand experientially the love of Christ, that we would be able to comprehend together what's the breadth, length, and height, and depth of this incredible love that we've been given. I often think back as a parent, this is a dangerous thing, so parents try not to do this too much, but your kids get out of the house and they get older and you look back on your parenting and you go, ugh. Well, there's therapists for that, I guess, for the kids. But when I look back in my, my, my parenting, I, I'll tell you, for all the times I tried to give a, a parenting lecture on some of these important topics, and again, those are not all wrong. You have to speak into your kid's life. But for all the worry I had and all the fretting and all the cajoling and sometimes the nagging that I did, I wish I had spent way more time on my knees asking God to help my children understand the love of God in Christ. I wish I would have been more on my knees asking God to do what only he could do by the Spirit. I wish I could, could have gone back and prayed far more that the Spirit of God would strengthen my, my children in their new identity in Christ. Because that's the foundation for godly living is having these things straight in the deepest recesses of our person. Stonehill Church, I know we're in the middle of COVID. I know it's difficult. I know we're isolated. I know we're not together. But if we prayed these two prayers for ourselves and for others, if we prayed significant amounts of our prayer life focused on just these two prayer requests, that we would be strengthened in our new identity in Christ by the Spirit and our inner being, and that we would be mesmerized by the love of Christ in real time. We prayed it for ourselves, and we prayed it for one another. I believe the difference would be shocking and what God could do through us when we understand these spiritual realities, when we understand more deeply the love of God in Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because look at verse 20 as we close. Paul says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In other words, we, when we pray these kinds of prayers, when we ask God to do what only he can do by the spirit, strengthen each other in the inner being, take these spiritual realities and burn them deep within us, take the love of God and help us to comprehend it and experientially understand it in real time. Paul says, when we talked to this God to ask him to do these things, he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He can take our prayer requests, which may be small, and he can do way more. And when we pray these two prayer requests, we can be assured we're praying according to the will of God. This is exactly what God would want for us. I'll close with this picture that um, I still have in my office. It's a picture of an ice fisherman. Now, I don't know what ice fishing is about. I've never been ice fishing. I don't want to go ice fishing. It seems like a crazy idea. It seems like a, uh, I don't know, a church men's group coming up with excuses to meet in the middle of the winter, okay? So they're out there ice fishing. Sometimes they have a, a structure that's on the frozen lake 
they've they've carved out a hole, you know, you know, big enough for a fish to get through. They put their fishing lines through there and they fish. At least that's what they say they do. So I've got a picture in, in my office in this book that I have that shows a nice fisherman. It's a fairly small hole in the ice doing fishing. And then beside that picture, there's another picture with an ice fisherman, and he has carved out this huge uh, uh, hole. It's, it's not really a hole. It, it, it's the size of a whale. It's huge. It's not just a little hole. It's this massive thing, you know, 30 feet long in the ice because that ice fisherman is thinking, I'm pulling out an amazing fish. I'm pulling out a gigantic fish. Sometimes I wonder in my own prayer life, and I'm sure you know this about yourselves, when we pray to God, our prayer request, uh, you know, our expectations are so small. But when we pray, and when we pray that God would strengthen us in our inner being by the Spirit of God, that these spiritual realities become real to us, when we pray that we would comprehend with all the saints the breadth, length, and height, and depth of the love of Christ, we need to understand that we're praying to someone who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is work within us. Stonehill Church, Let's take every day and build these two prayer requests into our prayer life. Yes, we should pray for those that are sick. Yes, we should pray for all of the the urgent and tangible needs that we're facing, of course. But let's not neglect these important prayers, these prayers that may not feel urgent, but they are vitally important. If we are going to live out the gospel to a world that desperately needs to see the gospel in, outworked through the people of God. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, I pray for myself. I pray for every person listening this morning. I pray for Stonehill Church, every believer that's a part of this church that's listening in. I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would strengthen them today. Strengthen them in their inner being, in the very center of their personhood. Cement the amazing truths of the gospel from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. I pray that we would be able to believe who we now are in Christ. All of the blessings, chosen, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, inheritance, made alive, resurrected, seated with Christ in the heavenly place, poured out, grace poured out on us, united in one body, at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Fellow citizens, the temple of God together. Lord, help us to believe these and help us to be the, 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 the things that we, we think about, the things that we begin to view ourselves more consistently so that we can live out of this new identity and be who we already are. And I pray also that you would help me, that you would help each person at Stonehill that have a deeper comprehension and a deeper experiential knowledge of the love of God in Jesus Christ, that we would be mesmerized, but that we would be enthralled in real time about the love of Christ that is ours by grace.
And as we come to understand that more deeply, as we begin to see that reality in our lives, as we begin to be mesmerized and enthralled, that love of Christ would motivate us to love others, to forgive others, to root our identity in Christ and not anything else, to stop our fear of man, our people-pleasing, because we've been filled up with the love of Christ. Lord, may you do that. And may you help us to pray that you would do these things in our midst, all for the glory of Christ in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.